You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline. A lot to get to on this week's podcast. We're going to talk about minor leaguers off to hot starts. Jonathan was in Dayton this week. Got a chance to talk to Hunter Green, Jeter Downs, Will Benson. We'll hear from all of those guys. We'll also talk about Michael Chavis and his suspension. I mentioned minor leaguers off to hot starts. We're going to start with a prospect in the major league, and and maybe nobody's hotter than Shohei Otani, and he's t- kind of taking over the baseball world, doing it on the mound, at the plate. And I, I guess the first thing is this is kind of example number 11,300-something that spring training just doesn't matter. Um, Jim, I'll start with you. He's hit three home runs already. He's been brilliant on the mound a couple of times. What impressed you most so far, the hitting or the pitching? I- I'd say the hitting has, or you know, because... This, the, even when he was struggling in spring training, the, the pure stuff was still there. He just wasn't commanding it. But you could see they had pretty good stuff. But he looked lost at the plate might be a little bit much, but you know, he had a bigger leg kick, and he just was struggling to do much at all. And you know we've talked about this a ton since last fall. I mean, it's hard enough to do one thing, let alone do both hitting and pitching. I mean, nobody's attempted to hit and pitch as much as he is going to with the Angels this year since Babe Ruth in 1918 and 1919. Um, and the fact that he's been able to make adjustments on the fly so quickly and make an immediate impact with the bat. I mean, I thought the power would see it over the course of the year, but even in Japan he swung and missed. And, and he's not going to hit, you know, 500 or whatever he's hitting right now. But the fact that he just was able to, you know, pretty much make an impact immediately with the bat and homer in three straight games while also trying to pitch and adapt to a new culture was very impressive to me. Yeah, one of those home runs coming off of Corey Kluber, which was obviously impressive. You brought up the leg kick, and he went from the high leg kick to more of a toe tap. Um, Jonathan, sometimes players with the caliber of Shohei Otani, what he's done in Japan, you'd think they'd be maybe stubborn a little bit and wanting to show that they can do it their way. What does it show you that so quickly, just during his first spring training, he's able to make an adjustment like that that I think some people would say it's a pretty major adjustment to go from a pretty sizable leg kick to that little toe tap to quickly make the adjustment and be successful with it in the big leagues. Yeah, I think I think it shows two things. One, you know, the the caliber of athlete that he is uh, that enabled him to make that kind of adjustment and, and do it quickly and have success immediately. I think we've seen guys, you know, add or subtract leg kicks and it's worked, but it usually takes time or it's, you know, they, they come back after an off season and they incorporate something new like that. Uh, he, he, you know, did it almost immediately. Now we'll see what happens as the league adjusts and what he does, but I think it also shows, you know, uh, his ability to, to make adjustments and not be so stubborn, uh, you know, that uh, he insists on, on sticking to something, you know, that had worked for him, uh, you know, and he's 23. So, Kudos to him. If there was a 23-year-old prospect coming up from AAA who insisted on doing something one way without changing, that guy doesn't stick in the big league. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's been about as exciting as anything I've ever seen. Uh, and uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see where it leads. Try not to get too excited about 
uh, about what he's done so far in the big leagues, just like I tried not to, uh, you know, jump off of the, you know, off the ship uh, when he struggled uh, in, in spring training uh, because of the old small sample size. As great as he's been in a couple of weeks here of the regular season, it was only a couple of weeks ago that you were starting to hear kind of those whispers that, all right, you know, he's, he's struggling at the plate. Maybe we should just let him pitch, and maybe he should just be a great pitcher. Uh, Jim, how important was it for him to get off to this good start hitting just so the experiment can continue? Um, well, I think it was going to have to continue anyway, because you know, again, we've talked. I mean, we talked a lot about Shohei Tani, I guess, in the last few months. But uh, <laughs> good reason. I, I, I just think you you weren't going to be able to sign him without promising him he, that he could play both ways. And I don't think. I mean, you know, granted, he signed. I guess you could do to Shohei Tani whatever you want if you were the Angels. But I don't think it would have been a good faith relationship if, let's say. He, you know, played in 12 games in April, and he went, you know, let's say he hit like he did in spring training, and the Angels said, okay, well, now we're just making you a pitcher only. I really think this first year, any changes would have had to have been, not that it's contractual, but just to keep the relationship, you know, and you have this guy signed for way less than his market value. I just think you were going to have to have Shohei Otani buy into whatever you were doing, too. So I, so I guess to answer your question, even if he went, like, oh, for 30, I don't think the Angels would just said, okay, well, you know, we're not de-aging him anymore. So right now it's obviously the six-man rotation. He's getting the off day before and after the start and then basically de-aging three games. We've also seen him pinch hit on, on those off days. Um, but – as this season progresses, Jonathan, the Angels are off to a very good start. A lot of people think that they're going to be in the hunt, if not win the division with obviously a juggernaut like the Astros, certainly in the wild card race. So we get to August. How much pressure will there be on the Angels to sneak him in for one more DH spot for a fourth time in between those starts? And is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? I... Um... I'm sorry, I'm laughing because my daughter has this game that she plays with her friends that she calls good idea or bad idea, and I could just hear her voice saying, is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? I don't think she would weigh in on this one, though. Um, but I digress. Why don't you track her we down? Could, we should add her to the podcast. She'd be outstanding, um, at least for the good idea, bad idea segment. I mean, I think they're going to have to wait and see. Uh, you know, I, I think overall they should probably stick to the plan they have in place. Uh, if he's got plenty left in the tank and, and you know, in August or September, that means it's, it's working. Um, I, you know, that said, uh, final month of the season, and he does have plenty left in the tank. Would one more, you know, start at DH impact that much? Uh, probably not. Uh, but I, I think, by and large, they're probably better off sticking to you know what what they've laid out is going to be the game plan for him. And uh, I would just say too, John, I, I agree with you. I think it might depend if they were in a very tight race to get into the playoffs, then maybe they'd be tempted. But at the, the, on the same, other hand, you know, let's say they have a comfortable lead. I think we all think the Astros win that division. Let's say the, the Angels, you know, have a comfortable lead in the wild card race. I don't think you'd want to wear him out. But then I think the question becomes. What happens in the postseason? Do you want Shohei Otani DHing? You know, let's say Shohei Otani hits. I mean, how many at bats do we think he's going to get? Like 300, 350 maybe? Does that seem right? At the most, I yeah, would think. Yeah, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. 
No, so let's say let's say he winds up hitting 20 homers in, in half a season of at bats. Then I think the question is going to become. Do you put him in the lineup every day in the playoffs when he's not pitching? So it's, you know, I, I guess we, I guess what we're saying is we'll probably be talking about Shohei Otani for several more months to come as well. Yeah, we certainly will. And the good news in the playoffs, I guess, is there are a few more off days worked in, too, with the travel. So that could help the cause as far as him getting some, some extra time swinging the bat. But, yeah, it's going to be hard to, to keep a guy, if he's shown that power throughout the year, out of the lineup in a postseason series with so much on the line. All right, we will continue to talk about Otani throughout the season, I'm sure. But for now, we'll move on. Jonathan, you made the trip to Dayton. Um and talk to a good number of prospects, really, Will Benson and Jeter Downs. But, of course, the main reason for your trip was Hunter Green making his season debut, the number two overall pick in last June's draft. Um, and he was dominant as far as pitching goes, I guess, eight strikeouts over three innings. Um, it was cold weather and all of that. Um, you talked to him the next day, and we'll talk about that story that's coming out a little bit. We'll tease it a little bit, but but you also got to talk to him after the game. I want to hear from him first, then we'll get into the start, but here is Hunter Green after his season debut. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, it was strong. Um, had a great team behind me. I was confident with that. Um, they did a great job defending, hitting. We came back. Um, we just did a great job all together. Um, felt good today. I was healthy. Uh, felt strong, healthy, and just ready to go compete. Got you for a couple of runs in the first inning. Is that something that, that kind of makes you dig down and, and, and go after a little harder? Yeah, for sure. You know, it happens. But um, to be able to bounce back and show your maturity and uh, show your competitiveness is, um, you know, what I was trying to do. And, um, you know, I came back and I had a good team behind me to uh, defend and uh, come back with some runs. And then really fired up in that third inning. Uh, second and third, nobody out. Yeah, second and third, nobody out. And I uh, was able to get out of it. Um, you know, I dug deep a little bit more, um, bared down and, and went and pounded the zone and um, had a little bit more of a plan when I came back out that, uh, that last inning. I uh, looked over the, the pitching stuff a little bit and knew how I was going to approach uh, the next couple of hitters. I think we all look at the big numbers with your fastball, but it seems like they were able to kind of connect with that and your secondary stuff was really what was kind of effective for you today. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, everybody's sitting dead right fastball. Um, they all bring their A game when they come out. Um, and to, to, to pick uh, the right count to throw the uh, secondary pitches is important. Um, and I was able to do that today a little bit in the last inning and uh, make an adjustment. So, Jonathan, the Southern California kid uh, talked also, not you didn't hear it there, but also talked about dealing with the cold, said it was no trouble at all. He gave up a couple of runs early. I don't think anybody really cared about that by the time he was done. What stood out the most to you about what he was able to do over those three innings? I think there were a couple things, uh, and you know, the cold isn't that big of a deal. But I think everyone sort of uh, expected him one maybe not to throw as hard and two, you know, more of a feel for the breaking ball. Um, and you know, given that you know coming out of the draft, there was this uh, concern about uh, a lack of a feel to spin uh, the breaking ball. And talking to to uh, Reds officials uh, during, before, and after. Uh, you know, the start, uh, the progress he made with his breaking ball just from instructs of spring training was tremendous. It's a big reason why he broke camp with, with Dayton, you know, right from the, from the get go. Uh, so that, that was impressive. And that was his, his go-to pitch. Uh, you know, I think six out of the eight strikeouts came on, on breaking balls. So even though he's still learning to consistently shape it, uh, it, it was really, really uh, effective. The other thing was just how you know how well he competed. Uh, he got himself into trouble in his third inning of work. He knew it was going to be his last inning, and he uh, he was fired up because uh, he had second and third and nobody out, and 
and uh, you know, and pitched out of it and struck out two guys that touched him for the runs uh, in the in the first inning. Uh, you know, set the hitters up well. Uh, you know, so that sort of little extra gear that he had that you like to see from guys. You know, even though this is pure development, uh, you were right. You know, the, the runs he gave up really doesn't don't matter at all at this point. But to see him find that extra gear to to pitch out of that inning and not give up any runs uh, was, was really impressive, especially given that he's still only 18. <laughs> That's the scary part. Jim, you see a guy like this. Obviously, we've seen them before. Um, high velocity. He's in his first full pro season now. When you think about this season as a whole, what do you look for from a guy like Hunter Green? Obviously, this is a great start, but there's a long way to go throughout the summer. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to let him pitch a ton. I, I, I actually was a little – well, I was a little surprised he's, he's pitching on opening day as cold as the Midwest League is. and I'm in Midwest League country, and it's cold up here, although we may crack 60 today. Um, a lot of times teams will hold their pitchers back in April, and I think he's going to probably – I don't think the Reds have told anybody exactly what his pitch or inning count will be. But, I mean, here's a guy who, who threw about 30 innings last year in high school and, and I think 120 over his high school career, and they're going to have him on an even shorter leash. So I'll be curious to see – from a, a handling standpoint, how they spread out those innings over the course of the year, because I do know from talking to the Reds in spring training, they do want him to be, you know, they're not going to, like, have him pitch his innings and then send him off somewhere. I mean, they want him to go through a full pro season and the rigors of that. So I'll be curious how they balance it. But I think with any of these high school pitchers, it's just how their stuff holds up over their first full pro season because they're, you know, he'll be handled differently than most. But, you know, these guys are, are basically used to pitching once a week, you know, for you know, however long your high school season lasts, let's say, you know, three months or so, and you go to pro ball and you're generally pitching every fifth day for, for five months when you break into minor leagues. So I think with, with him or Mackenzie Gore or, or any of these high school pitchers out of last year's draft, it, I'm always most curious as to how that stuff plays out over a full season. Yeah, just to add on, I actually agree with Jim. Uh, you know, my initial reaction was, uh, boy, I'm surprised he's there in, in April. Why isn't he an extended? Um, but I kind of like what they're doing. They want him to go through the experience and the process of being with the team from start to finish. I think they'll keep him on very tight pitch counts. He even said as much that you know at least his next few starts are going to be in the same sort of 50 pitch range, three innings or so. Um, you know, as he gets built up. Uh, but they 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 decided that they'd rather have him do that and go through every fifth day for an entire season rather than be held back where he hasn't competed in, in quite some time. I mean, he, he played very briefly last summer uh, in, in Billings. But l- let him see what that's like, see how he holds up, even if it's on that really st- strict pitch count. I, I think they'd like to get him to 100 innings this year. And if he gets through the season healthy and gets to a right around 100, even if it's a little shy of that, I think it will be deemed a, a developmental success. It's fascinating that after all these years of baseball, teams are still kind of trying to figure out the, the best way to handle um, young prospects like this in this situation. So Hunter Green was the number two overall pick by the Reds last year. Jeter Downs was the number 32 overall pick by the Reds. They're teammates there in Dayton. So you get a chance to talk to Jeter as well. Um, let's hear from him, starting with what he took away from his first pro season last summer. The biggest takeaway I got from my first like half season of pro ball was less is more in pro ball. Coming from high school, like you played two to three games a week, so you're always in the cages. You're always taking extra ground balls. 
you're always doing extra work somehow, some way. And coming to Pro Bowl, I came with that same mentality, trying to do too much, too much, like always in the cages, always on the field, taking the extra work. And I found myself like so tired when game, when, when game time came. So that, that was one thing, just learning how to like balance it all out and still get my work in, but how to still get ready for the game and be in good condition for the game. Do you do you have memories of Columbia at all? I mean, or, or you know? Yeah, I do. I do. I was very young when I was when I lived there, but I still remember little, little bits. What, you know, what do you remember? And you know, what do you remember? And what is it? You know, your your parents and family telling stories uh, about life there? Because my dad works for Carnival Cruise Line, so the, the, what I remember the most is when he used to come back home for vacation, just throwing me BP in the backyard at two years old, three years old, running around the bases. Like that was just fun times. Do you realize now? I mean, obviously, you grew up in in Florida where baseball was everywhere, but baseball in Colombia is still you yeah. know it's hit or miss. There obviously some players have come from there, but it's not a a huge. It's not the Dominican Republic in terms of that. Um, do you feel fortunate that you you did move from there? Do you think that you know obviously helped you get seen? Yeah, honestly, it was my dad's plan. Like he played professional baseball back in Colombia, and he like he went through that whole struggle of like actually getting seen and getting noticed. So. He kind of made the decision for our family to move over here, like to give my brother and I a better chance of like playing and getting noticed playing the sport. Now, your brother's in pro ball. Sure. Uh, how often do you talk to him and do you talk about baseball? Like you're just comparing notes just because he's been at it for a little while in terms of what to expect and, and how often you just talk about other stuff? No, we talk about everything, basically baseball, other stuff, just staying relaxed, basically. He was a big help, help for me, like, in high school, like going through that last senior year with all those scouts coming and all that stuff, that was he was a huge help because he went through that same process in twenty fifteen. So, and he kind of gave me that heads up coming into pro ball, like what to look forward to and like stuff that I'll have to like get over and just things that I have to deal with, like with the whole pro lifestyle and stuff like that. All right, I'd say the the the, the main question for for the last question. I mean, it sounds like you've embraced it. Is there ever a time where you're like, couldn't you name me you know, anything else? It's just the sort of pressure and the fact that you play shortstop on top of it, uh, <laughs> or is that something that you're like, yep, I'm all in? No, I've always, I have always loved it. Like Jeter's one of my favorite players growing up. Like just the way he carried himself, like on and off the field, being known as a captain, like through all throughout Major League Baseball, that's for something pretty cool. And I always thought of he was never in trouble. Like that was, he was just a good role model to look for, look up to as a kid growing up. And honestly, I didn't really care too much for it. Like. It was just another name to me, but like now what he's become, it's kind of it's kind of special to think, because like when he when I got named, I was born in NDA, and he was he was what, like a year the year and a half in the league, two years, so he wasn't really that big of a name at that time. So like to see what he's come a Hall of Famer now, he's the owner of a major league team, like it's pretty crazy. So you left his name for last, Jonathan, but obviously uh, it's it's something that sticks with him. How can it not when his name is Jeter Downs? The the interesting thing being, I think, that, that Derek Jeter was only a year into his pro career when Jeter Downs' family decided to name him after him. That was a, it ended up being a good omen, I guess, for Derek Jeter as well. But a lot of good stuff from that interview, including baseball in Columbia that snuck into there a little bit too. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story. Uh, you know, first name aside, and I told him after you know, we finished talking, I was like, "You're only going to have to answer four million questions about it." So, uh, I'm glad I got mine out of the way, and I promised never to ask him about it again um, until I guess he makes the futures game. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, you know, he's he's an interesting player. You know, and the Reds have done really well in their drafts. Uh, I think 
uh, to get uh, a talent of that caliber a little bit later on was good. You know, he moved uh, when he was really young from Columbia. Uh, and his dad played there, uh, you know, and all, all that stuff. That the backstory is good. His, his brothers in pro ball, uh, you know, so it's a good family story. And he's got some tools. Uh, you know, it's interesting in Dayton. He's going to play both short and second. A lot of teams are doing that now anyway. They have Jose Garcia playing a lot of shortstop, uh, and he's all in playing second base. You know, whatever whatever is needed. He he grasped from an early age that you know if he gets to a higher level and he can play more than one position and there's a need, he could get called up to the big leagues as opposed to he's a shortstop only and they need a second baseman and he's not right. But, uh, you know, impressive young man. Uh, I think he and Hunter Green will, will be able to sort of grow up together as they come through the, the red system. And then Dayton was actually playing Lake County, the Indians team in that league. Uh, Will Benson, the number seven prospect for the Indians. He was the first-round pick back in 2016. You talked to him as well, obviously a guy that was a a multi-sport kind of standout and star. And he talked about the process that he's gone through so far coming through the minor leagues. Um, No frustration at all. Um, Going into it, I was pretty clear with the Indians that this is going to be a process and I want to take the best route to make sure that I'm the best possible player that I can be. Um, and, and they fully understood that, and we were both in cooperation with that, and I've just been working hard, and that, the extra summer was needed, and I think it, it benefited me heavily. Um, you know, gained connection with, with coaches that then started to understand who, who I am and, and what I wanted to be and helped me get to where I am right now. What, what were some of the things, especially this, that last summer? I mean, you had the, the longer time and extended, yeah. and then you went out and played. You know, what, what were the biggest takeaways you took from, from that learning experience? Uh, overall what, what a process really is and what it means. Um, I think that extended spring allowed me to continue to understand my, like who I am as a baseball player. I think I really, coming up, I didn't, baseball really wasn't my, my first sport. And so, you know, coming into it, I was really good at it, but I, I hadn't reached my full potential. And I'm still trying to figure that out. And that summer was, was a, has been a big step in it, me figuring that stuff out. Yeah, you were always a guy, I remember coming out of the draft that people talked about, like, well, once you focus on one sport, you know, in, in case you chose baseball, things would start to get unlocked. Did you feel that happening? I mean, did you have certain aha moments or was it more of a, a gradual kind of thing? Um, it was a mixture of both. Um, you know, big, big shots to, to Pete Lawrence, my hitting coach. I think I had quite a few aha moments um, with him. And then obviously just being in the Indians organization, there's always gradual progress. And so I think like, like we went back to that summer, that extended spring summer there was like that a really good mixture of aha moments and gradual progress and it was kind of cool to kind of really understand you know baseball at a, at a deeper level than I ever had before. Now you got you know a little bit of time in big league game you homered in a, in a big league game what was that experience for you and just in terms of like motivation and uh, even though it was just a couple of that bats a jolt of confidence heading into this full season? Uh, it, it was it was a blessing. Um, it, it was remember when it happened, the homer. I didn't even realize I had done it. You know what I mean? Like it's out of out of body experience. But it, it, it's it was a blessing. It was kind of cool because I I wanted to make an impact and I wanted to make a statement um, that spring and to be able to go out and actually execute the plan I wanted to was was a blessing. It was awesome. Jonathan, obviously it does take a little bit longer for guys that, that played multiple sports and, and were as good at different sports as Benson was, but he seems to kind of have it all in perspective. Yeah, he really does. You know, he, he, he went into it knowing you know, that he, he may not go straight from the draft to a full-season club the next year, and he took that sort of half-step 
um, you know, in short season, and it really helped him. You know, and and I wonder, and this is you know, more anecdotal, you know, we see the two sport guys, and some have uh, been impressive of late in terms of their feel for the game being better than expected. Uh, Taylor Trammell and Jamai Jones, uh, you know, come to mind. Uh, but Benson was a basketball, baseball guy, at least with football, you might have a break in between to sort of get yourself ready for a baseball season. Um, you know, the basketball, baseball guy, there aren't that many of them. Uh, and the only other one I can think of is Matt Manning with the, with the Tigers and he's a pitcher. Uh, and it's taken him a while to, to, you know, to get going as well. Uh, you know, so the, maybe there, you know, there's more to that in terms of that being a longer developmental process. There aren't that many of those guys, but he is, he's just a physical specimen, uh, was, you know, coming out of the draft. That's where I met him. He, he was one of the players who came to the draft and uh, very well-spoken, good head on his shoulders. Uh, you, you know, so I, I think he understands that it, it may take him a while. Uh, he turned around a Hunter Green 98-mile-an-hour fastball uh, right back up the middle. Uh, and you, that was a glimpse of, okay, this is, you know, this is what he's capable of, uh, of doing, you know, and I think it's just going to keep getting better as he continues to, to get playing time and refine his approach. We're going to move on to minor leaguers off to great starts in the first week of the minor league season. Before we get to that, though, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. The regular season is in full swing, which means it's time to think about fantasy drafts. Hope it went well for you. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated the number one fantasy site by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row, and one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. The app will help you get the expert advice and analysis you need to make moves throughout the season, like a big league GM, so you can crush your league. You'll be able to draft, trade, and manage your team right from your phone. Sign up now and download the Yahoo Fantasy app or go to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. All right, time for the way too small a sample size. Great starts on the minor league level. Um, you guys have each picked a pitcher and a hitter that are off to great starts. Um, sometimes for the pitchers, that that's one start. But, Jim, I'm going to start with you. On the hitting side, how about Siuli Matias, Royals Class A Lexington Legends? He's shown plenty of power already. Yeah, he's he's tied for the minor league home run lead uh, for whatever it's worth this uh, far into the season with four and six games, and he, he's just, he's interested in me. He signed. He was he was a two point two five million dollars signing in July two thousand fifteen by the Royals, and I saw him in spring training on the backfields the next year. So I guess that would have made him. I guess he would have been seventeen at that point, um, and he put on just a huge display in batting practice. I wasn't even—I I was back in their cluster of diamonds, and, and I just heard the ball come off his bat. You know, it made one of those sounds. You're like, "Wait, who's that?" And he was just crushing balls. Uh, you know, at age seventeen, I mean, he—I I don't think there's any question. He's got the highest tool, the, the highest ceiling in the in the Royals farm system. I mean, he has a chance to hit for big-time power. He's got a, a cannon for an arm. He fits that right field profile really well. He's actually uh, currently a, a slightly above-average runner. He'll probably slow down as he fills out. He's already 6'3", 200. And if he can make consistent contact and tap into that power, he can be a star. So you're right. I mean, it's obviously small sample size. I'm not going to project uh, that he's, he's on a 100-plus home run pace. But we could be seeing the coming out party for Silly Matias now that he's in full season ball. Tyler O'Neill offensively off to a great start as well. Four homers in his first four games, Jonathan. 
Yeah, and uh, as we are recording this podcast, he already has a two-run double uh, in in their in their game today. He's up to twelve runs batted in, and he's hitting three seventy. Uh, you know, we he's always had power. Uh, you know, there's been swing and miss, and you know, concerns of you know how that will work at the big league level. Uh, now he just needs an opportunity to do it at the big league level. You know, they needed somebody, and Harrison Bader got called up. Uh, you know, I think the two of them are going to be jockeying for uh, that role for the time being. Uh, I think there will, you know, there will come a time, and you know, some may argue it's already there that uh, both of them uh, deserve the opportunity to play. And with the way that O'Neill has started out, uh, he he certainly has uh, shown, uh, you know, uh, that the power is for real. Uh, you know, still a good amount of strikeouts and no walks, uh, but that's kind of who he is. Uh, he's still only 22. He turns 23 in June, so he's plenty young enough. Uh, but, uh, you know, there there will be a point soon, I think, if he continues to tear up Pacific Coast League pitching, that uh, they're either going to have to give him a chance to let that power play in St. Louis uh, or, you know, look to trade him. All right, on the pitching side, Jim, we know the Orioles could certainly use some homegrown pitching talent, and maybe there's some on the way. Uh, Zach Lothar, obviously years away, but the lefty off to a great start. Six no-hit innings in his debut. Yeah, he might he might not be that far away, but he, he you know Zach's a guy who who kind of caught my eye after his sophomore year at Xavier. He went up to the Cape Cod League, which is you know, many or uh, the best players in college baseball, and he led the league in strikeouts, the strikeout rate, strikeout to walk ratio even though he throws in the upper 80s. And he came back his draft year. He set a Xavier record for strikeouts. He finished fourth in Division One in strikeout rate. Orioles take him as a supplemental second rounder. And he averages 12.4 strikeouts per nine innings in, in short season ball. And he, you know, not only did he pitch six, shutout, or six no-hit innings in his first start, he struck out 13 guys during that time, too. And, again, it's one start. I don't think Zach is going to uh, average two strikeouts per nine innings. But he just he, he's one of those guys who is kind of on my radar to, to see how he does this year because, you know, he's still – you know, he, I think he'll top out maybe at 93 at most. But he, he locates the fastball really well. He hides it really well. And he gets really good extension in his delivery, so it plays way above its velocity. And I think he's just kind of a, a classic example of, of you know how the radar gun doesn't tell you everything. Um, and I'm very curious to see how how he plays out over the course of his first full season in pro ball. Like we're talking about Hunter Green, but you know so far so good. I mean he's missed as many bats in in pro ball as he did in college. One more player for you guys, Jim. The Beebs, off to a great start. Double-A Akron for the Indians, and he's got a couple of starts under his belt. Shane Bieber. Yeah, Shane, Shane Bieber. Uh, um, and I love making the Bieber joke, so I, do, I don't get tired of that. That's why I stole it from you there. Yeah, it's okay. totally fine. I have no problem. I uh, share. Uh, you know, he was a guy, you know, sort of you know, Jim, uh, sort of noticing Lothar in the draft. Uh, we, we split up the country in our draft coverage, and I have California, and uh, he came uh, out, of, out of Santa Barbara, uh, replaced Dylan Tate as the Friday night starter, helped Santa Barbara get to the College World Series. And another guy doesn't light up the radar gun, uh, but throws, you know, all of his pitches uh, you know, he's got four of them, and they're all at least average for strikes, so everything kind of plays up. And uh, he's gone twice, so much larger sample size. But uh, 13 combined scoreless innings so far, uh, six hits, 17 strikeouts, 
133 batting average against. This is in Double A. Uh, last year he started in in the Midwest League and pitched across three levels and and was you know arguably the best pitcher in the Indians organization and. You know, he's back at it now, and uh, I think the thing that stands out, if you look over you know, what's been a relatively brief minor league career, uh, he was a 2016 fourth-round pick, uh, he's thrown 210 and a third career innings. He has walked 12, wow. 12 in 210 innings. I mean, the, the, the command and control are absolutely insane. He hasn't walked anybody yet in his two starts this year. Um, so, I mean, I think this is a guy who's going to be ready to help out in Cleveland. Uh, and if you told me that he will be starting games for them the second half of this year, yeah, I could believe that for sure. All right, so that's the good. Now on to the bad a little bit. Obviously, um, tough news for Michael Chavis, suspended 80 games for taking a uh, performance-enhancing drug. Chavis on Twitter um, in a, I thought, a fairly well-thought-out um, write-up. Denied it, but apologized in the same statement, which is often what you see with these sort of things. Um, Jim, I'll start with you. Uh, he had eight home runs in 2016, battled a lot of injuries, played 81 games. Then last year, really blew up. 31 home runs um, in over 120 games, was able to stay healthy for the most part. When something like this then happens the next year, does it bring those stats into question for you, those 31 homers he hit a year ago? It, it does not for me. I mean, I, you know, I know he came out and said he doesn't know how this substance you know, wound up in his system and... You know, I think a lot of people say that, and whether that's true or not, you know, I have no way of knowing. Um, you know, he's not the first guy who said that. You know, ultimately, the players are responsible for what winds up in the body, and, he, and he's suspended. But I, I don't, I, I didn't look at that and say, oh, okay, well, that's why there was a power spike. I mean, Chavis was one of the best power hitters available in the 2014 draft, and he had tried, he hit for power in 2015. He didn't hit for average. He struck out a lot. His approach was a little bit uh, too much, uh, all or nothing. Um, and he actually started to make strides in 2016 and got off to a really good start and might have had a really nice year along the lines of what he did last year in 2016, except he got hurt and then he came back and tried to do too much. And then last year, just talking to scouts who saw him, they, they did notice it was, it was a new approach. I mean, that power has always been there. So I don't – I mean, I guess, you know, a knee-jerk reaction – and I'm not saying you were doing this, Tim, but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are fans out there who look at it and say, oh, you know, this guy got busted for performance and answers and he had a big power spike last year. But that power has been there for a while. Uh, you know, this guy won the home run derby at the Perfect Game All-American Classic as a high school guy against the best players in the country. So, I mean, people have known about Michael Chavis's power, you know, going back to 2013. So I, I don't think this is a case uh, of a guy taking something and, and then all of a sudden, you know, becoming a power hitter. Uh, you know, and also, I, I think it's not like <laughs> – it's not like if you take something, it all of a sudden makes you a much better hitter, too. I mean, you still have to make contact and barrel the ball and all that stuff. But, you know, do, you know is it true that Michael Chavis doesn't know how this wound up in the system? You know, that's what he says. You know, I mean, I don't have any real knowledge of that. But I don't believe that the power is just manufactured through using performance-enhancing drugs. All right, Jonathan, he was in a spot here where obviously he was at big league spring training before he got banged up and injured, and that was a little bit of a disappointment for him. But it seemed like this could have been the year where he at some point could have broken through and made his big league debut. Now it's 80 games he's suspended, so he'll come back in the second half at some point. What does this do development-wise? Does he come back and, and go, do you think, right to Pawtucket, AAA, and then go to the Arizona Fall League? Is that what you do to make up for this? What, how do you think this plays out? 
for his timetable? Yeah, Arizona Fall League or Winter Ball. I mean, he was in the Fall League last year. Uh, I got a chance to talk to him for you know for for quite some time, and um, which makes me really want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I agree with what Jim said in terms of uh, you know you don't know for sure, and he's the only one who's you know controlling what he does and doesn't put into his his body. But this this guy loves to play the game. Like, and the thought of him doing something to cheat it. seems strange to me um he was already a little bit behind because he missed uh, you know so much of spring training uh you know this puts him further behind i mean long term i don't know that it has that much of an impact he, you know he, he doesn't turn 23 until almost the end of the minor league season so yeah i think he could come back and it may depend on what's going on in their system you know if uh if it makes sense just to get him regular at that so he starts you know, in, in Portland, and so be it. Um, and I think it's going to be more about him getting his timing back, and, and you know, all that, uh, all that kind of stuff uh, when he, he's ready. And the level is, is almost inconsequential at this point because I don't think he's going to be counted on to, to you know, to help out in Boston this year. But yeah, I could see a scenario where he goes back to Arizona for sure to to make up for lost time in at bats. Yeah, next year I think would be a, a bigger spot from a Red Sox standpoint when Hanley Ramirez is gone, Mitch Moreland um, gone. There's, there's more of an opening for an infield spot next year. So if he can get back and get back in the good graces and, and have a good second half, we'll see what happens heading into 2018. All right, I want to wrap things up real quick. Just because we did the fantasy uh, prospect draft just last week on the podcast, we talked about it. Quick standings update, and Jim has made it clear that he doesn't want this to be a weekly part of the podcast because nobody cares about other people's fantasy teams. I believe that is true. But since this is the first week, Jim, and since you're in first place, we'll go through it. Callis leading the way in the Fantasy Prospect League with 54 points. Mayo second, 42. I guess you guys should be in those spots. I'm in third, which I'm actually shocked by. 39 points, and then Jason Ratliff has 33 and fourth. Mike Rosenbaum in fifth with 26, and Jordan Schusterman of Cespedes Family Barbecue is in sixth place at 21. My goal in this league was to not finish last. I am currently in a solid position, so I'm happy. Jim, was your goal to win it, and are you happy with how your team has started? Well, yeah, I mean, I just... I think I mentioned this during the draft podcast. I, I'm known among my friends for having a competition problem. So, <laughs> I, I, in fact, I was, uh, you can ask my wife and youngest daughter, I was not the best of sports when uh, bowling uh, got off to a slow start last night, but I, I did rebound. But, uh, no, I mean, Shohei Otani is carrying me, and it's a little unfair because he's played an extra week compared to the minor leaguers, but... Uh, very pleased so far, and, and and Tim, I will commend you in the the small sample size uh, uh, the line of thinking. You, the last pick of the draft, you took Danny Jansen, and he's leading the minor leagues in hitting. So, so kudos in that. There you go, Mister Irrelevant, <laughs> coming through big time for my team. Jonathan, a thought before we say goodbye. I'm uh, I'm just happy Jim rebounded in bowling because I took him in the third round of my Callis Family Bowling Fantasy League. I had a 161 in my second game after a subpar first game. So. Oh, I know. I had scouts there. I know what's going on. Don't. Uh, yeah, listen. It's it's all fun. I'm just hoping that I can sort of uh, sort of stay close uh, to to Jim and then make a run later. You know, looking at my team, and I'm, I think I'm hitting about a buck ninety as a team. Uh, so I have to figure law of averages says I'm going to do uh, do better than that. 
Um, so uh, I'm hoping that I can sort of stay within striking distance and then and then maybe get that you know get that hot streak that uh, helps me close the gap. And Jim, don't worry. Everybody knows the first game of any trip to the bowling alley doesn't count. Well, good. Well, then, then, then I did very well then. So. All right. That's going to do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.